I should have done this at the beginning of the service, but for those of you that are visiting with us, maybe because you have a daughter in gems or for whatever other reason, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us this morning, and we hope that if you're only here this Sunday, that this is a place where you feel welcomed and encouraged, and if you don't have another place to worship, you're welcome to come back and join us every Sunday as we worship together. But what we've been doing as of late, or we've started at the beginning of the year. We're revisiting this now, I've, having recently done a different sermon series through the season of Lent, is we are working our way through the book of John. Most notably, we're doing it with the question before us, who is this Jesus that he is speaking about? And this morning, we are going to finish up chapter 5, uh, reading once again verse 18 and then through the end of the chapter. There's a couple of places you can find that. The words will be on the screen so you can follow along. There's a printout available in your orders of service, or you can read along in your pew Bibles on page 1058. As we read through our text for this morning, John chapter 5, verses 18 through 47. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing in his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, who, him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works 
that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, and his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will, that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as many of you know from experience, one of the fun joys of finding out that you're going to expand your family through the birth of another child is figuring out how you want to share that exciting news with your friends and your family. And uh, one of my daughters was up here earlier as an eighth grade student in GEMS. And when my wife and I learned that we were going to be having a second child, we had a trip planned back to visit our families uh, back east. And we decided to use that as an opportunity to tell our family. And the way we decided to do that was we allowed our older daughter, who was just under two at the time, to wear a t-shirt that had the words Big Sister on them. And then just to let that be the way that we made the announcement. And sure enough, when we met the family, most of them fairly quickly saw her shirt, recognized what it was saying, and, and it was a joy to watch them realize what that t-shirt that she was wearing meant, that we were going to have another child. However, I have to pick on my brother-in-law a little bit because he was a little slower on the uptake. And my sister had to say, well, did you see Ella? And he was like, yeah, I, I saw her. Well, did you see her shirt? And he's like, yeah, it's a nice shirt. <laughs> and then my sister had to say, well, did you read her shirt? And finally, he read what her shirt was saying and, and then came to the realization of what was happening. The clues were there staring right at him, but he didn't fully grasp, didn't fully recognize what that, those clues meant and uh, to understand it clearly. And again, that was the whole point, the, the fun of letting them realize what was there in front of them and interpret the meaning behind those things. Well, the text that we just read, this long text, is almost entirely quotes from Jesus. If you had a red-letter version of the Bible, this would almost all be in red letters, everything uh, after the introduction in verse 19. It's a very long monologue, the longest one that we've seen so far, and in it, Jesus is explaining to the people more and more about what had just happened and what what had just happened meant. 
So let's start by reminding ourselves of what we read last week, the context of our text, and and remind ourselves what had just taken place. In the beginning of chapter 5, we learn that Jesus is in Jerusalem for a feast. And while we don't know what feast he's there, while he's there, he visits this pool at Bethesda. This pool is a place where a lot of uh, people with ailments, illnesses, chronic or lifelong uh, diseases gathered together in the hopes that they could get into the water because they thought that it was a place and source of healing. And so Jesus visits this place, and while he's there, he interacts with a man who has been identified as an invalid for 38 years, who had regularly gone to this pool, but was never able to find healing in that pool. And Jesus asks him if he'd like to be healed, and then Jesus tells the man to get up, take up your bed, and walk. And this man does. It's an amazing, a miracle. But he did this on the Sabbath. And for those watching, that was a huge problem because according to the law, you weren't supposed to carry your bed on the Sabbath. And when Jesus is confronted about what he had done and what he had told this man to do, his response was to say, my father is working until now and I am working And so, seemingly forgetting what they had just witnessed in the incredible miracle that had just taken place, they focus their attention on Jesus and they struggle with this idea, these Jews questioning about what he had done. And it forced them to ask that question that we're asking in this sermon series. Who is this Jesus? Who is this man that heals Who is this man that not only allows for the carrying of beds on the Sabbath, but in some ways not only encouraged it, but commanded it? Who is this man that compares his work with God's, whom he calls my father? But the information is all there. They see it and they knew it. Which is why, when we start reading in verse 18, they say, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They want to know who this Jesus is. But they didn't want to believe who he was. And so in asking the question, in essence, they're putting him on trial. And the implicit accusation that they are raising against him is that he has no right to do what he has done. And therefore, he is a blasphemer. He is a liar. He is a sinner. And he needs to be gotten rid of and killed. And the whole point of our text for this morning This long monologue of Jesus is for Jesus to say in about as clear a way as he possibly can, you saw what you saw. And when you say that this means that I'm making myself equal with God, you're right. That's exactly what it means. 
So let's get into his speech. Jesus begins his speech by saying again what he had said before, that the work that he had done and is doing is not just his work, but everything that he is doing is exactly what the Father is doing, that the two of them are working together with the same power and with the same authority behind them, in complete harmony himself with the Father. And what is more, as great as the work that he and the father are doing of healing this man who was an invalid for 38 years, Jesus says that they will see even greater things from him. Again, the whole crux of this issue and this debate was about working on the Sabbath. The reason why the people could rest on the Sabbath was because God was still at work. God as the creator, the giver, the sustainer of life was able to and and did continue to work at all times. His work was necessary for their life and existence. And Jesus saying, and what Jesus is saying is that he also has power and authority over life. And so, not only would these Jews see Jesus heal this broken man, but they would see him and his power over life when he raised the dead. It's a claim, a big claim that Jesus makes right now, but we'll see him fulfill later in this gospel. Most notably, in chapter 11, when his friend Lazarus dies, he will go to the tomb in three days later. And just as he had said to this man, get up, take up your bed and walk, they're going to hear Jesus say to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And he would. And later, when the Jews were successful in killing Jesus... He, on the third day, would also take back his own life again in the resurrection that we just celebrated on Easter and continue to celebrate today. All of which would be a prelude to the time when Jesus would call all people to come out of their graves and we will either be raised to eternal life with him or to eternal judgment And the point is this, Jesus is God. And as God works on the Sabbath, because he is the creator and giver of life, Jesus is claiming that he too has that very same power and authority and therefore every right to do this work on the Sabbath as well. Which is clearly a huge claim to make for oneself. And you couldn't expect, and you shouldn't expect anyone to be like, oh, well, you say I'm God? Oh, okay, you must be God then. No, you have to back that claim up, which is the next part of our text. That's exactly what Jesus does. He offers them witnesses to verify what he just said. So oftentimes, when we are asked to to sign very important or, or legal documents, at the bottom of the page, there'll be a line, a place for us to put our signatures, but next to that will be another line. Another line where somebody else has to say, yes, I saw this person who I knew was who they said they were sign this document at this day and at this time. And someone like a notary will sign on that line verifying that you were the one that signed the document. 
You couldn't and, and wouldn't just sign on the one document and then say, oh yeah, and I verify that I was the one that did it. No, you need somebody else to verify that you are who you say you are. And in many ways, that's exactly what Jesus is doing in verses 30 and following. Jesus offers up at least three different witnesses, and it depends on how you count them. You could add a little bit more, depending on how you divide it. But these three witnesses to verify the huge claim that Jesus is making about himself. The first witness he offers up is John the Baptist. Again, at the beginning of the book, you will remember that John the Baptist was someone who everyone recognized as a prophet who was saying something incredible and true, and huge crowds were flocking to him to hear what he had to say, the teachings that he was giving and the baptism that he was offering. And the Jews themselves had gone to him, and Jesus builds off of that, and he said, you sent to John, you wanted to hear what he had to say, and so what did he say? What testimony did he give about me? And John having played his role as the one who was called to prepare the way for the Lord, had given the testimony that Jesus was the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the earth. That was John's testimony about Jesus. And so Jesus says, this man that you respected as a prophet, this is what he said about me. But I don't look to men for my verification, and that's where he moves on to point to the works that he had been doing. His miracles, uh, as we have and highlighted throughout the, world, throughout the book, were called signs. The whole purpose of why he was doing things like turning water into wine or healing this man who had been sick and, and disabled, Jesus restored him. He rebuilt him, and that incredible, powerful, miraculous work was in and of itself a verification that Jesus was more than just a normal prophet, that he was more than just a normal human being, but that he was acting with the power and the authority of God himself. And so all of these works were another testimony of the fact that he was doing the work of the Father, works of power, works of restoration. And what is more, Jesus says, I have the testimony of the Father himself. Now at his baptism, some had heard the voice of God that said, This is my beloved Son whom I, with whom I am well pleased. But apparently it wasn't these people because Jesus says none of them had heard the voice of God or seen his form. But then he also says that they didn't know his word. You see, the real witness of the Father was found in Scripture. And this is where Jesus' speech shifts a little bit, because as they were in many ways putting him on trial and trying to ask, who do you think you are? Jesus in many ways turns this, and instead of telling about who he is, he talks about what he thinks of them, which is really the more important issue. If they really knew the scripture as much as they believed they did, then they would have seen that Jesus was being pointed to and alluded to throughout the Old Testament. 
They would have understood, just as we did in our Lenten sermon series a few weeks ago, that everything that Jesus was doing was fulfilling all of those Old Testament passages that had pointed to him, that had anticipated his arrival and spoken of the one who would come and what he would do. And in missing Jesus as the one who was prophesied in the Old Testament, they were actually missing the whole point of the Old Testament in being more concerned about the fact that this man who was healed was carrying his mat on the Sabbath rather than the fact that he was walking for the very first time in 38 years, it had proved that they were missing the whole point. Jesus was there to fulfill the law. And if they couldn't see it in the scripture, then they would never believe it from his mouth. And the danger was in missing who Jesus was and in missing the life that he was there to offer them, their efforts to save themselves through the law would all be for nothing. Again, it's a pretty long and yet a very direct monologue where in, most, in some of the most clear of ways, when the question is asked, who is this Jesus Jesus himself says, I am the judge. I am one who has power over life and death. I am God. And he offers witnesses to verify that. John the Baptist, his works, and scriptures, all that supported his claim. And again, the people knew it. They realized that if he was able to do and say what he was doing and saying, that meant he was claiming to be equal with God. And so you only have a few options, just as C.S. Lewis so famously put it down. There are only a few possibilities when Jesus makes that bold of a claim. A, you can dismiss him as a lunatic. Someone who thinks he is God because he's crazy and he's out of his mind. And therefore, he can be dismissed. B, you can accuse him of being a liar. He knows that he's not God, but he's trying to claim to be God. And therefore, he's trying to deceive these people intentionally. He's trying to pretend that he's more than what he is. And the consequences of those options are you do what they wanted to do. You dismiss him, you get rid of him, and you try to kill him. Or the third option exists. What he's saying is true. And therefore, you must acknowledge that he indeed is who he claims to be. He is Lord. And that changes everything. You know, when we try to put ourselves in the shoes of these Jews that were watching these miracles take place for the very first time, I'm sure all of us can sympathetically understand how hard it would be to see a human being, and even as incredible of the things that they were doing, to to make your mind understand that they were God in the flesh. And so we can be sympathetic to their struggle because in many ways we still struggle. We struggle with that claim that God is one and yet he exists in three persons. And that's hard for us to to wrap our minds around. I don't think anyone fully understands it. 
But the evidence is all right there, right in front of us. Jesus has the power to do all of these incredible things. And while it was incredibly difficult for those people to understand what Jesus was saying about himself, I fear the sad reality is that for many of us that have grown into this church, or in the church, that what Jesus claims in this text actually kind of comes off as somewhat boring. It's like, well, yeah, we know. We've heard it before. Jesus is God. That's part of who he is. And so we just kind of read all of this and we're like, yeah, yeah, I, I get the point. But if we do that, I think we end up falling in the very same trap that these individuals fell into, which is that in all of this discussion, we forget the context of what had just happened. And so that's where I want to remind ourselves this morning In all of these details about who Jesus is, remember what that means. That means that as God, the one who created the entire universe, whose existence was to be worshipped by the very angels who dared not look at him because of his glory, he came to this earth. And not only did he sacrifice that glory, but he was He allowed himself to be questioned. He allowed himself to be ridiculed. That he walked among those that were hurting and suffering and smelled and were in desperate situations. And he did so, so that he could love them. So that he could restore them. And he could invite them back into a relationship with the Father. A relationship that they had broken through their sin. It means that this God who wrote the law tolerated these people questioning his interpretation of the law. It means that he is the God that knits each and every individual person together in their mother's womb and gives life, gave his life and sacrifice on the cross so that what you broke could be healed. And as we celebrated on Easter, because Jesus is God, because he has authority over life, and because he rose again from the dead, proving he was who he claimed to be, that means that we can rest in the knowledge that we belong to God, that all our work has some meaning. And that changes everything about who we are. Changes everything about the way we live our lives and why we worship every single Sunday. It means everything when we stand by the grave of someone that we love and we know that they belong to God and that when he cries, come out, that he and that those individuals are in his presence in glory right now and that we will be invited to join with them someday. That because Jesus is God, he works today. And he has finished the work of salvation. And therefore we can rest in his presence. So in all of this monologue, don't lose the details. That what this means is that the God of the universe came to this earth. 
to love those who are broken and hurting and to restore their lives. The alternative to seeing what is right in front of us is to refuse to believe it, to continue in our blindness, and to walk toward judgment. But may all of our eyes be open, not only to the truth of who Jesus is as God, but to the incredible hope and difference that makes in everything that we are and in everything that we do. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, the reality of the incarnation is beyond our ability to truly grasp and understand. All of the details, however, are right in front of us. And I thank you for your testimony, for speaking so clearly about who you are. I thank you for your works, your miracles that proved your power and your ability of restoration. Most especially, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and the power of your resurrection, which proves your rule and authority over all life. May all who heard those words this morning hear them with ears that understand the love and the grace that you have for them, how you invite them to be your friend. And may they turn to you as the Lord of their lives, the the saver of their souls, surrender to you in faith, and in so doing, to walk the life that you created each one of us to live. Thank you for that incredible gift. May we grow in our understanding and appreciation for the truth of who you are as we continue our journey through this book and through our lives. All this we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.